Blog Talk Radio. on Three Women, Three Ways. We are a show that tackles some pretty tough topics sometimes. And uh, today we don't have a particularly tough topic, I don't think, but I think it's a particularly useful topic. What we're going to be talking about is creativity and trauma. We all have trauma in our lives to one degree or another, and uh, some of it's pretty pretty uh, darn difficult to deal with. And one of the ways that we are finding as a, as a society of dealing with trauma is with creativity. And I have with me uh, Alex. May I call you Alex? Absolutely. Okay. Uh, this is Dr. Ale- Kay Alexandra Ano, and she is a uh, Ph.D. She is a psychologist. She's a poet, a storyteller. She's an educator and, of course, a therapist. And she specializes in utilizing creativity to help people deal with trauma in their lives. Thank you for joining us, Alex. Thank you so much for having me, Heather. You're welcome. And tell us a little bit how you got into this field and why this field, Alex. Uh, the field of therapy or the field of poetry? Um, the actually, field of I, the field of using um, the your poetry and and writing as a methodology for your profession. I like to say that I blame Joseph Campbell for being a therapist. It was it actually started in my work with story and mythology and folktale and looking at the ways that the deep stories live in us. And I think that poetry is the special voice of that integrated part of us that speaks from our soul, from our hearts, and out into the world. So the depth of who we are is carried in that poetic voice. And so for me, the journey about creativity and story has been intricately woven into my work um, as a therapist from the beginning. Okay. Um, why? Why not sit on a couch and do Freudian analysis to help people? Why do you think this is more helpful? Well, I have a deep respect for the founding fathers and mothers of the field, and I think one of the things Freud acknowledged first was the way that the, that the lived experience of trauma is rooted in the body. Um, but I think that there's something about giving voice to our experience that is uh, deeply important. So our origins in the field, going back to Freud and then going back to Jung, um, really hold a relationship with that deep exploration of voice. But the creative process allows the voice of the unconscious or preconscious or underconscious to work with that part of us that lives out in the everyday world and move back and forth. Um, I often refer to the inner poet as also the dream weaver, that those are the same voices, that that access to inner life 
that that access to deep meaning, that that access to core of self uh, gets voiced in particular ways. And poetry is one of its uh, great um, pathways out into the world. Okay. And were you a poet first or um, an, a, a therapist first? Well, I I was a poet before I was a therapist. I have had a, a relationship with finding ways to express in our life since uh, before I can remember discovering that that was part of me, but has always been a companion. I've always been oriented towards the creative myself and been drawn to and surrounded by creative people. Most of the folks in my practice are artists of one kind or another, and I'm uh, deeply interested in that that voice of the deeper soul and how it expresses itself, and uh, especially how it weaves into that that process for healing. Many of the really sensitive people I know are also the really creative people I know. And for the artists in inside all of us, as well as in the world, to allow that voice of creativity to be part of the healing process is really to come home, I think, to the heart. Yeah. Um, so you have always had an interest in creative writing. And when we chatted off off air, you talked a lot about the neurology, the neurological um, changes that occur in the in the in the body during trauma, and how creativity can help with that. Can you give us just a brief idea of of what what that connection is? I think sometimes when we experience trauma, we tend to think that it only signifies it's only significant because of the emotional upheaval it causes. But in fact, there are some real biological upheavals that occur in our body and on our bodies and uh, when we experience trauma. And can you talk a little bit about that and how this creative process can help that? Yes. I think that there's, and we talked a little bit earlier about two different kinds of inter- integrative processes that have to happen in the brain. So there are a couple of ways of looking at the brain as having multiple aspects. You've probably heard people speak about the triune brain, where that prefrontal cortex um, is the thing we think of as most belonging to our humanity, our ability to think and discern, to plan and and to choose. And then the limbic brain, which has to do with our, our mammalian relational self. And then the hind brain, connected to the brain stem, which has to do with our fight and flight and freeze mechanisms, those places where our survival stuff is wired in really deeply. And part of what language does, giving language to our experience, is to allow those top levels of the brain, which have to do with cognition as we think of it, to connect to the emotional experience as it's presenting itself through our felt sense and to be able to integrate and bring a a narrative that helps supply meaning uh, to that deeper physical mechanism that moves just towards and away and thinks in terms only of survival. So that top-down Okay, so let me interrupt just a little bit sure. um, because I want to make sure that, you know, we, uh, the, the vocabulary that I have uh, is, is the correct interpretation. So basically there are changes in brains that occur yes. during because of trauma, either during trauma or because of trauma, and long-term exposure to trauma can do all sorts of things to the brain. Absolutely, um, absolutely. It makes physical changes, hormonal changes, yes. Yeah, 
but it's, mm-hmm. it's a chemical thing that goes on in your brain um, or, or that, that goes on in your body when there's trauma. Um, and those chemicals can do all of these things to your body, including make changes in your brain. Mm-hmm. And what you're saying is, is that the creative process helps counteract some of those changes that occur in the brain? I think the way to think of it is that it invites you back into the wholeness of the mind and the brain, the wholeness of the personality. When we're in what I think of as trauma mind, emergency mind, which is really run by the amygdala, that's the place that lives um, only in a state of fight or flight or freeze. It's a reactive response, and it doesn't allow for an integrative or thoughtful or even a relational process. So part of what we want to do in helping people move out of a traumatized state is to return to the fullness of their humanity, to be able to move out of that hindbrain response into a limbic, connected place and into a prefrontal cortex engagement with the world. And language and story helps us to do that. Alex, I want to throw out our phone number here. I see we have a caller already, and I'm hoping it's Michael, so we'll see. And um, we have a phone number that you can call in if you want to share some of your creative works, if you want to share your story about how you used the creative process, perhaps writing, uh, perhaps art, to help you through trauma in, in your life. Please give us a call, 646 378 0430. That's 646-378-0430. And uh, join us in this conversation. Alex, I'm going to take this moment to go to our caller. And uh, hello, caller. Are you there? Hi, I'm here. This is Michael. Okay, great. Hi, Michael. Um, Thank you so much for joining us. Have you been able to hear uh, much of what Alex has had to say so far about that brain creativity, the trauma, brain creativity connection? It is very interesting, and and it sort of jives with what I've experienced. I didn't know, you know, the technical terms or the language for it, but yes, it's been interesting. Yeah. Well, and and as a person who, Michael and I know each other uh, from uh, a writing group, um, and so I I know very well his his skill level when it comes to writing and sharing his his, uh, experiences and his thoughts through writing. Michael, do you have a a, a poem that you would like to share with us, perhaps something that helped you through a traumatic event or helped you process a traumatic event? Yes, I do. I do. Let me preface this my mother died five years ago and uh throughout her lifetime throughout my lifetime we had a a a spotty relationship Uh, i remember one incident where she she slugged me in the face and broke my glasses so you can tell it was somewhat traumatic and um and uh so i wrote this poem uh actually not very long ago when i was thinking about her and arguing about um, trying to think of you know in through my own head through the relationship and and so I could continue on better my relationship with the other folks that are still in my life. Um, so and okay. I call it I call it irreversible. Okay. Five Michael, years, just I, are you oh, are you sorry. trying to use a speakerphone, Michael? No, I'm I'm on a headset. Okay, I need you to actually pick up the receiver. Can you do that? Because we're losing the quality of your sound. No, I can't. uh, Unfortunately, the only phone I have is 
The only phone I have is a cell phone. Oh, dear. Okay, well, I need you to keep it as close to your mouth as possible and to stay as still as possible so that we can catch the the full meaning and and presence of your poem. So go ahead. Could you share that with us, your poem? Yes. Is this better? Yes, that's much better. I call a poem irreversible. Five years I watched each Saturday slip behind the dying sun, leaving all my work undone. Five years I begged, I want my life back, knowing that if I didn't answer on the second ring, she'd bite my head and spit me out. Five years comparing avocados, arguing over the dime she never dropped, wishing her tormented mind was not entrusted to me. I spoke the truth. I want my life back. Five years I put my life on hold, sandwiched between her fading memories and my children whom she no longer knew. Five years crying on the shoulders of my family, shirking their needs, screaming, I want my life back. Five years I watched her fade, one day at a time, not as a curtain closes the play's last act, a velvet sweep through her busy life, but sadly fade to black. Five years since her casket closed, now I plead, I want my mother back. Wow. <laughs> that made me cheer up, Michael. <laughs> um, I also had a, a difficult relationship with a mother who was mentally ill, and so I guess that poem really speaks to me right now. Wow. I think those Alex? are the hard... Yeah. I, Michael, thank you so much for reading that. Um, there's a, a few things about it. May I, may I have your permission to speak to what I notice? Please do. Um, there's some of the things that are um, characteristic of how poetry lives in us in a deeper way. One of the things that poetry does also is allow us to bridge the left and the right brain. So the left brain is linguistic, logical, linear, and it responds to things like the precision of five years. It anchors us in time. And yet, the right brain, which holds the story of our lives, holds autobiography, holds our felt and lived and embodied sense, is so affected by hearing the repetition, five years, five years, five years. I want my life back. I want my life back. I want my mother back. beautiful example of how the whole body is carried into experience. Here's the, the, you're speaking to the very specific dynamics of every day, like the avocado argument, the, the intimate relationship with the physical world, with moments in time, and then that's that of a thread through time, mammalian relational experience over the course of time. So we have a way to hold the story as it moves through time and the story as it lives in the heart and the story as it moves through time and the story as it lives in the heart and the body and relationship. Wow. Michael, thank you for sharing that. Um, I really appreciate that. How did you feel, Michael, that, that writing that poem and how do you, how do you feel sharing that poem 
helps helped you help you deal with this relationship? When I first wrote the poem, I didn't know how to analyze it. And as poetry often is, it took me a while to write it and rewrite it and finally be able to uh, coalesce my thoughts about it. And my family wondered why I wrote it because of my relationship with my mother. My daughter calls her, called her that crazy lady. Um, and finally, when I, when I was finished with the poem and when I thought, boy, that really says, it speaks exactly what, what you, you said, um, Alexandra, um, when I was satisfied with that, then all of a sudden I realized over a period of working on this poem, it suddenly become very true to me. It's suddenly become, now I do miss her. I, uh, it's simple, but it took me a long time to recover that balance. One of the things that I find, Alexandra, when I write uh, a piece is that I can, it's almost like a physical moving, uh, you know, when we experience trauma and grief and all these things, um, I always feel like I'm experiencing it in my stomach. And I think that's why we, we use so many analogies about our stomach in relation to, you know, gut reactions and all that kind of stuff. Uh, it's just kind of in that core of our being. And when I write something down on paper, some of that just kind of escapes my body and ends up on the piece of paper. And if mm-hmm. I write about it enough, pretty soon it's not, there's only a small piece of that that's left in my body, and the rest of it is on that paper. And I like my pieces of yeah. paper that I've written it on. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? It's not like I could take and, and just burn those and be happy. No, no, no. These these pieces of paper belong to me. I, I would not get rid okay. of them. Um, you know what I'm saying? Is that typical? Totally and, and how yeah, totems and talismans. Totems and talismans that can become. The um, You're describing something that the narrative therapists call externalization. This process of bringing something... Okay, now I have to stop inner- you. Is that a good thing or a bad thing, Alex? <laughs> it's, it's just a thing. It's an, it's an important thing. It's the thing that allows us to come into relational dialogue with our own experience to be able to make a connection with a piece of ourselves or with ourselves as the beloved other. So when we release it out onto the page, it becomes something that we can be in dialogue with, in witness to, and in appreciation of, have compassion for. Often it's so much easier for people who have been through so much, who are so impacted by relationships, to be able to have um, compassion, to bear witness, to feel love for the other. And so when we can start to move our own experience out of us into a place we can witness and hold it relationally, we can start to bring that relational skill to the experience of ourselves. Michael, do you have a similar feeling when you write something, um, like obviously the, the poem about your mother, does it somehow or other take a piece of that um, pain out of you and put it on the piece of paper, or is it a different experience for you? A little of both. I look at this paper and I think, have I captured my my thoughts? Yes, I yes I have. Have I released my thoughts? Oh, ever ever so much, ever so much. I'm so glad that this poem came to me and that I wrote it because it has brought me peace with my mother, with my life with my memories. Uh, 
at the same time, I I look at it as how would a how would a reader look at it? How would how would somebody that how would my audience feel about it? Would they get my pain? Uh, that I can't answer. I I I hope so. Um, I don't I don't know. Does that answer the question? No. Yes, it does. Um, so, um, uh, Alex, is there a dual component to this using creativity to process our trauma? Is it is it something that isn't just something that helps us process it, but is it something that helps us share it with other people? I I think so. We I want. I mean, we are always relational creatures. We are never not relational creatures. Language is about relationship. So I I do want to respond to the question in in your statement, uh, Michael, and say that I think the pain is available to be witnessed in your poem. I feel invited into contact with that voice of your heart. And I feel invited into the journey of the shift between the anguish and the integration. And I do think I, I felt it, Michael. I, I I definitely felt that when I when I heard you read the poem. I mean, it literally brought some tears to my eyes. Um, and now maybe that's because I had you know also a, a difficult relationship with mom. Um, but maybe it's just because it's a universal experience. Um, so, you know, I I I think that that the poem is very effective. What's of interest to me here is Michael. How did you change after you wrote that poem? And does that change continue when you share the poem? Very much so. Very much so. I watch other people. I watch their reactions. And I think, as you said, I think maybe I've touched them in a, in, in a way that without the poem I wouldn't have been, you know, I explained my my relationship with my mother. I, you know, I've analyzed it over and over in in, in thoughts and words. Um, and resented the relationship over a period of a long time, but until I until this poem came to me and I was able to write it, all of a sudden it suddenly became less of a pain and more of an experience, less traumatizing and more just okay. I can look back on it and think I lived through it. Now I can move forward with my life. Now I want my mother back. I, I think you're. Um, your journey, Michael, speaks to a couple of things that belong to us, to all of our humanity. One of the things that is very, very difficult for people whose trauma lives in relationship with the very important formative connections is that uh, we we don't ever really escape from that. We are inheritors of the legacy of our relationships. Can we have to find a balance between making a space for ourselves distinct from those relationships while also accepting the inevitable connection we have to them. And one of the things I really love about this particular poem is that it holds awareness of both. It does that weaving back and forth between the dilemma and the necessity of integration. You uh, seem to have claimed the relationship as something that you can hold with love, as well as through the memory of pain. Uh, Dan Siegel is one of the 
primary voices in the field of interpersonal neurobiology. And he talks about the need to develop a coherent narrative to be able to tell a meaningful story about our lives. I think this is why, for example, 12-step meetings work. People tell their stories over and over until they find that golden thread of meaning. They get a sense of that that meaningful arc, um, that beginning, middle, and end of the dilemma so that we can arrive at a place of reflection. Alex, when people... um write a narrative? Does it have to be their narrative? Or does it happen for some people where they can um, 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 invent a narrative? Can can people invent sure. a story for themselves? Sure, sure. I think that um, that's where fiction lives. Most fiction is um, exists because it is a voice of finding, oh, uh, a voice truer than fact. And I think that that happens with with any powerful creative offering is that we're looking for the thing that holds the deepest truth about something. And so we can tell an integrative story to get that meaningful arc. Um, I think that's why myth and folktale are so important. And sometimes I'll use a a story out of mythology or a particular folktale or uh, my dissertation was on using the earliest remembered favorite story to have a coherent arc to help to integrate experience. People who have been tremendously traumatized, who have lived in a state of consistent relational disruption, which means consistent biological disruption, have trouble developing their mind and their brain in such a way that they can hold that coherent arc. And so a story, even one offered from the outside that has some kind of emotional truth or resonance, can provide that meaningful arc, like the scaffolding of beginning, middle, end, and integration, so that that psyche can begin to borrow that structure and develop its own You'll listen. To, you'll see a child who will want the same story read to them over and over and over again. And <laughs> you'll see every stories, child like yeah. that. Yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> and and adults will have stories that live in them later. I mean, I have a whole workshop designed around working with that earliest favorite story in a variety of ways, because that that arc, it's not only it can be diagnostic, it can be. Uh, revealing um, and an invitation into relationship with one's own experience, become a map that allows you to find a sort of way out of the labyrinth of trauma, that, that complex territory where something is lurking in the dark and holding hostage. We all need ways to come out of the chaos and into coherence. We have a chat room open. If somebody would like to go to our chat room, just go to www.blogtalkradio.com slash three women three ways. You can access the chat room there if you want to ask a question or share something there. Um, And also, please give us a call, 646-378-0430. We do have another caller. Um, Let me click on this lady. Here we go. Caller, are you there? I just called uh, you a lady. Hi, yeah. I hope you're. Yeah, oh, good. <laughs> See, I'm intuitive. I knew it was a lady. <laughs> this Thank is you for joining us. What's your first... Brooke? My name is Brooke. Mm-hmm. 
Brooke, thank you. What do you have? You used uh, creativity. Have you used writing or some other form of creative expression in order to help deal with trauma in your life? Yeah, I have, and in fact, I know Alex. Um, I don't know Alex. Hi, if Brooke. Tell the story, um, mm-hmm. or if you want me to start. Was, uh, sure. Brooke is a student of mine. Oh, but good. go ahead, Brooke. Tell tell, tell me. Uh, I would love for you to speak for your own experience. There. Okay. Okay. Um, so I was a student of Alex's and was um, going through a really hard time in my life. I had a lot, a lot of loss, kind of all, of, all at once. And um, she gave me an assignment. She kind of said, I don't really have words for you, um, and, and gave me the assignment of uh, writing poetry, even bad poetry. Um, and <laughs> I love that. I love that. <laughs> Thank you for that, Alex. <laughs> giving people permission to write, even if it's not some sort of wonderful, you know, uh, publishable, manageable, wonderful piece. So, thank you for that. So, Brooke, did you? What did you write? Well, so it was interesting because I, you know, even I grew up with a mother. This is a mother-themed show. Um, who, who told made it very clear to me that we were not creative people. And so the assignment <laughs> to write bad poetry was really helpful. And interestingly, the two, I'm realizing the context in which the two, um, I, I have two that I think go really well together. Poems come, one one comes in response to having read one of my poems at graduation. Um, and And my thoughts kind of about how my mom responded. Um, and I can read it now if that's okay. Sure, please do. Okay, so it's called um, Blinded. Uh, If I'd showed showed you my brain, you would have noticed. Instead, I dared, once again, to show you my heart. And I told myself it mattered not whether you could hold mine next to yours. In our familiar dance, I placed that pulsing, shining gem at your feet, and blinded you once again. And that tiny hole I always carry gave way to the broken-hearted girl who longs to be seen. Wow. Wow. You said you had a companion piece to that? Yeah, so that was sort of the the original trauma. And then this next one, I think, goes with the healing that I've done um, around that particular trauma of my heart really not being held um, and emotion not being welcome um, or mirrored as a kid. Um, So this one's called uh, Words Repeated for Teresa. Words repeated over and over. Words repeated over and over, sometimes rearranged. Over and over, words repeated. Over and over, words repeated. I heard them and nodded, and you repeated. Such powerful words became the water I swam in. Over and over, words repeated. Today, like any day, you repeated the words. And as if you had finally cracked the code, you gained entry through protective gates. They swung open and I finally felt those words enter and settle 
into my flesh, my bones, my heart. Wow. Wow. I, you know, I see such similarities between that poem and Michael's poem, where mm-hmm. that there is a level of acceptance. Um, mm-hmm. Am I interpreting that in, in the way you intended? Yeah, I think that's right. I think it, um, acceptance and, and also um, healing, right? Like that something had finally shifted for me. Yeah. Yeah. Michael, do you feel any kind of commonality with Brooke's uh, expression there? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Both in the yeah. in the poetic expression and in the and in the uh well, the way you the way you formed it and also in the words you used and the and the thought that they that they mean the significance. So, uh thank you for sharing that. Mhm. Thank yeah. you. I wasn't going to share that one until I heard yours. <laughs> Mm. Oh, how nice! Great. So, um, Alex. Voice, so what? Voice led so what's voice, the process? So what's the process here, Alex? What is what is being accomplished with these these words for these people? What's happening physiologically? Right. What hap- is happening emotionally? Well, first of all, thank you, Brooke, for sharing that work. I know it's incredibly intimate to offer language which tries to capture your own experience as if it is beloved, especially when that's countering the experience that your experience was not received as beloved. So to break the rules of the old kingdom by speaking your truth, by offering it for witness, is such a powerful, generous thing to do. So I think even just claiming that uh, experience, giving it voice, offering it for witness, is changing the map of the psyche. All by itself. Okay. All by itself. Those, that's those are those are rather academic words. Can can you tell me, you know, what what's happening in words that I can grasp if I'm not a psychologist or an artist? What's well, happening in my body and in my mind when I write poetry like that? I think that there's, again, that that place of bringing the lived experience out into the world and out into relationship. First of all, it's breaking a taboo, right? It's a family. We we take our family's messages as mandate. So when I say the rules of the old kingdom, I'm talking about whatever kingdom you grew up in. The rules of your family, spoken and especially the unspoken, the implicit messages, live in us as incredibly rigid structures and there's a lot of survival based reasons that our um, social mammal species is built that way Um, but part but part of what can happen is that we can get uh, we can have a tremendously difficult time expanding past the family's idea of what should happen and into something beyond it so you know, here's the voice of an incredibly feeling person who has, who grew up in a family that didn't know how to hold emotion, which doesn't mean they didn't love. It means that they had a different way of doing the relationship. And so even that can lead to someone feeling bereft. And I think this is something that uh, many sensitive people feel like they were born almost into the wrong species. 
Like a lot of people will wonder what their trauma is. Why am I so distressed? Why am I carrying so much pain? Nobody, you know, and some people carry all the symptoms of trauma without having had overt violence. Just that experience of not belonging, not being received, not being witnessed, not being mirrored, not being, not feeling felt leads to a, a huge deficit in that relational identity. And so to speak to that experience and have it be received is incredibly important. Okay. Can I jump in? Um, on, we actually... Jump in on, we sorry. Have, go ahead, Michael. Jump, jumping in on, on kind of on that... Um, there was a, okay? there, hi, Thanks, can you hear me? There was an unspoken Yes, we can hear you, Michael. My, go ahead. An unspoken thing in my family that what happened in family stayed in family. You never you never talked about it to anybody else, and and um, I remember an incident where mom took me shopping, and was going to force me to buy something that I didn't need and didn't want, and she thought she was being generous, and I thought she was just being pushy, and I, I remember growing so angry at at her that I swept a whole there was a table a display table full of shirts, and I swept it all on off to the floor, and stomped away, and. She told me she told me that I wasn't even supposed to tell my family about it. Don't you ever talk about this to anybody else. This is between us. Yeah. And so being able to sh- I'm not sure how she would how she would be affected by my poem. I, I that's the one un, uh, unanswered question. Would she approve of it or would she think I've let a let a family secret out? Well, and that's always the question. But it, 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 you know, I, it, you know, from from a, the standpoint of you know speaking as a daughter of a difficult situation, um, uh, my my gut reaction to that statement is doesn't matter because it's my story, not hers. Alex, does that say something about me as an individual, <laughs> or is that a typical response? I think that speaks to a really important stage in the integrative process because we are when we're born into a family, our dependence on them leads to a sense of compliance, which is biologically necessary. That's one of the reasons people in difficult situations stay in difficult situations. They somehow reinvoke that sense of helplessness which is our first and most primal state. We enter the family helpless. I know that little baby can't lift up their head, let alone climb out of the crib, go get a woolly mammoth sandwich and bring it home for lunch. That is not an option. So we depend on the beloved other. At some point in life, we have to start feeling like there is more to us than this dependent connection. And so that I need to find who I am. I need to claim my experience despite anything you might say, perhaps even in rigid contrast to what you might say. So we move from that dependent state to a counter-dependent state that we think of as belonging to various stages of life, including adolescence, um, including midlife. But those those stages of life are designed to bring the I on board. My thoughts, my feelings, my experience, I matter. Not just you, the beloved other, but me too. So the quest for a sense of self includes that moment of saying no to the other in order to say yes to the self. 
we hope at some point to get to a place where the yes doesn't require the no so much, where we can simply say yes to who we are. But it's a very important thing to be able to say no in the service of yes, no to the other in the service of yes to the self. Eventually then, we can say yes to ourselves and yes to the other and find that place of we. Yeah. So what's happening in our brains over periods uh, of, of using this creativity? Why, you know, some people are not creative. They're just not creative. I mean, I've met people like this. And, and um, how, you know, for, for those folks who can't use a, a creative method to deal with trauma, then they... they um, deal, you know, they they get traditional therapies, or they just deal with, or they just live with trauma. I mean, what? I guess what I'm saying is, what distinguishes people who use creative process to deal with tra- life experiences, life trauma, from those who do Heather, not? I think Heather, it might have more to do with whether people feel permission to explore their own creativity. I actually think that the creative process belongs to humanity. I don't think there is anyone who doesn't have some. Some people are more right brain, more obviously creative, have um, what we call a divergent mind. Instead of bringing things to a single focus point, they expand into possibilities. And that's one of the particular qualities of creativity. Um, But uh, Einstein actually said that something along the lines of our intelligence as a reflection of our ability to change. So it's um, there is something about being able to invoke uh, new possibilities that I think belongs to anyone and everyone, but everybody has to find that place that moves them the most. So for some people, the creative is going to be discovered simply by allowing themselves more physical expression to choose a different posture to look up instead of down, to wrap their arms around their heart and not feel ashamed in doing so. For some people, the use of color is really important. And if they dare not lay a paint on a page, they might choose what colors to put in their surrounding. For some people, written language is going to be incredibly helpful. For other people, spontaneous spoken language is more important. So you might find that there are people who, uh, in the context of physical dialogue with another, can really find that poetic voice or that integrative voice more. So there are uh, countless ways. And I would encourage people who have received the message somehow that they are not creative to change that to you haven't yet found your creative voice. And by voice, I don't mean just written or spoken voice. I mean any expressive offering. We have another caller. Jesus, Jesus, you know, call, yet, you um, caller, are you there? Voice. And by voice, I don't mean just written or spoken voice. I mean any okay. Uh, caller, I'm going to put you on hold because you've got your, um, you're listening to us live and there's a time delay. So um, caller at the uh, 206 area code, if you would please uh, turn off your computer or turn down your computer so that you can uh, talk to us. I'll come back to you in a minute. Michael, I want to come back to you. Um, are you finding this conversation interesting, or is this stuff that you already knew? Uh, I think uh, instinctively I think I knew it. Intellectually, I'm hearing Alex say, and, and you as well, and Brooke, um, things that I want to hear, things that I need to hear, 
things that are helping me understand the instinctual um, understanding of it. Um, it seems to me that, well, my mother my mother taught junior high art for 30 years. So there was a creative streak in, in us. But when my children were born and I was working for a daily newspaper, I stopped writing poetry for almost 25 years. And wow. only recently started in the last five or six years. And, and And this poem, I think, coalesces the essence of what I wanted to accomplish with my poetry uh, in the sense that I'm, what I'm hearing Alex say, uh, it's a prime example to me of both that intellectual and creative process coming together. And I, I think your message is, is very strong and, and, and helps me understand uh, and also helps me answer that last question that I mentioned. Would my mother accept this poem? In the intellectual sense, I think I think she would. In an instinctual sense, I think we could. This would open a dialogue that we could actually talk about it. I think one of the most powerful um, things that might in, invite her, and I, I, I think there's a way we're always working on healing our relationship with family. It doesn't matter whether they're still on the planet or not. We're still working that thread, and that a shift from I, I want my life back to I want my mother back speaks to the power that these relationships have within us all the time. Yep. Yes, I think that's true. I'm going to try our new caller uh, and see if we've got it. Caller, are you there? Sam. Okay, great. Thanks for turning off your, your speakers on your computer. So there's a time delay, and so when you call in, you have to disregard that. Um, so are you? What, what about the process of creativity and trauma um, are, do you find fascinating? Well, I'm a... I'm a songwriter, and oh, okay. I've been writing. Yeah, I've been writing songs for probably 15 years. Um, and what's interesting is that I I've written songs about all kinds of things and for other people and all these sorts of things. But I I just recently um, have written a song that is about my own trauma, um, and. I have mental illness um, as well as family trauma, um, and I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder in 2006, and I um, it's been a very traumatic journey um, through through that. And so this song um, that I've just recently written has um, elements of that as well as my family trauma in it, and it um is very helpful to me to be able to share that with the world. I'm very open about my mental illness and um whatnot and it it's very helpful. My songs are a very good way, a vehicle for me to share um share things with the world. Okay. I'm gonna ask you if you can sing us I, I would imagine a song is like three minutes long, so I'm I'm gonna ask you if you could just do a piece of the song. Um, but first, I want to ask Alex, um, the the caller is is talking about sharing with the world, sharing with the world. And what we've talked about so far with this creative process is more of a processing internally. Can you connect the, the new caller's comments about sharing her experience with some of our previous discussions about processing it within ourselves? 
Well, again, Heather, I think that all processing is a relational quality, is a relational preference. When we speak of processing, we're actually coming into relationship with that experience, finding language for it. And uh, I think I said earlier, there's something about finding a way to experience the self as the beloved other. And so there's something about daring to come into relationship with oneself as a beloved being or beloved-able being, if you will, um, that is is actually rooted in that larger need for relationship. And so there's something that seems to me that about coming full circle when we offer that creative voice of relationship with our own experience into relationship with others. Um, Again, we are never right. now, not I think answers, relational. I, I think that answers my question, Alex, and I'm looking at the clock going, oh, no, caller, uh, could, this is a horrible thing to do to you. I know that. But I'm looking at our clock, and I'm going, shoot, we're going to run out of time. Um, can you just sing, like, maybe 30 seconds of your song that you might like to share with us? Well, I'm not going to actually sing it because I don't think uh, it would come through the phone, um, okay. through the cell phone. Very well. I was going to just read um, the first part of um, of this song. Could you do that? And, and um, yeah. because of our time, I'm, I apologize that I'm going to make it short, but could you share some of No, that? no, it's fine. Yeah. Um, so I haven't named it yet. Um, I generally let my... Uh, uh, well, anyway. Uh, so it's uh, somewhere I know there's a place I am not out of place. And I guess it's long overdue that I go. And I know that place may be just a shift in my perceptions, emotions, attention, the chemical construct of me. All along the way, I've been guided by a whimsical, mystical force I can't see. And somehow, it always, of course, will come down to the cracks in my family tree. Who says what's up or where's... Who says what's what or where's up or who's down... They're only words. People throw them around. At the end of the day, what is true is what you believe, and that's the that's the first verse of the of the song. Oh, I love that. I I, I really I like that very much. Thank you for sharing that. Um, I'm going mm-hmm. to actually uh, let the connection go because I'm kind of got so many people on the line um, that we're losing sound quality. But thank you so much for calling in and sharing that, and and um, I really um, appreciate your your doing that for us. Thank you, Michael. Thank you so much. Um, yeah, Michael, um, you and I have uh, um, shared some some works before, so um, this is. You know, I, I don't know if, if I've, I've read this one for you or not, but I actually um, wanted to share a poem that I wrote, um, and um, then we can kind of sum up all of this uh, poetry together, and I'll turn it back to you, Alex. But this is a poem that I wrote, um, and it's called Make Him. The bruises inside my head are dark, purple, throbbing. The words are blows, one after another. My voice is too loud. Too harsh. I am too argumentative. He cannot talk to me. I don't listen, he says. He says it all. When he is away, the children and I break eggs in the sink, use egg beaters to make them foamy, add food coloring to see what happens. They wear little aprons I made as they stand on their chairs at the sink. We make play clay and use cookie cutters, 
gather leaves and iron them between sheets of waxed paper. When it is almost time for him to come home, the children get quieter. We clean up the mess, get ready for bed. I can protect them. If he looks angry, I push the children behind me and back up toward the stairs. I have nowhere to take them. If you leave me, you'll be sorry, he says. I'm sorry I can't leave you, I think. If you'd just do things my way, the right way, it would be fine, he says. But it's never fine. The bruises in my head grow larger. One day my son looks at me and says, I wish you would make him go away. I will try, my baby. So that's my poem. (laughs) And, you know, Alex, you were talking earlier about, um, you know, there's a sense of vulnerability. Uh, Brooke, maybe you experienced Mm -hmm. as well. There's a sense of vulnerability about sharing the words that you have written down that are, are so personal. And part of my um, processing, since we're using that word a lot, is learning over the last couple of years to just put myself out there and share those words. Um, One of my favorite things about that poem, Heather, is that it acknowledges something I think that's powerfully underestimated, is that we can sometimes do for love what we would not otherwise do for ourselves. And this culture has so much um, uh, lifting up of, of heroic independence, but I think our interdependent relational selves often lead, uh, lead us to the gold much more. So for my child, I can claim what I might not claim for myself. What a very important thing to be able to offer. Um, I think it, I think in a, in a sense, sorry, I think in a sense, your poem captures more so than mine does that sense of being trapped in a relationship, wanting to break it, but at the same time not wanting to break it because it is a relationship. Whether it's that old thing, um, what, the, what do they say? Uh, bad behavior is uh, means you're getting noticed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, attention. Yeah. Negative attention yeah. better than no attention. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I always sum it up by nasty people get what they want because nobody wants to deal with them. You know, <laughs> so I'll give them whatever they want just so they'll go away. <laughs> well, I, anyway. I do want to thank you for sharing that, Heather. I do think that it is so important important for voices that hold some leadership in the world to offer their vulnerability because it is it that reclaiming of the voice of experience is so important not only for individual healing but to change the story we carry about who carries trauma it is it is everywhere it goes across every um piece of the socioeconomic strata across race across gender across every aspect of humanity and it's so important to acknowledge how much it lives in us and how much it binds us until we find that voice and can become free. Yeah. Um, both uh, to all of you, um, do, you, do you find sometimes when I, I want to write something, a part of me poo-poos it as, as just a bunch of navel-gazing and I should just pull myself up by my bootstraps, forget about this nonsense, and just get on with life. 
Have any of you ever experienced that, kind of a little feeling nagging at the back of your brain? Yes, yes. I have a bunch of, I, I write poetry on my phone, and I have a bunch of unfinished poems that I, I look at and I think, God, I just don't, I don't want to do that. I just don't like that feeling anymore. I'm just going to ignore it. And and then something will come <laughs> along that will spark it, and I say, oh, that fits that poem perfectly. Yeah. Brooke, how how do you see this creative process in you and dealing with your personal trauma fitting into your life as a college graduate and a professional? And uh, Do you see any conflicts there, or do you see this as complementary? Um, you know, I think it's been a way for me to, I really struggled with, uh, putting words to my feelings and it's been a way to process that for me. And, um, you know, I, uh, I love some good navel gazing. I'm not going to lie. Um, <laughs> Love me that navel gazing, huh? <laughs> um, but you know, I and I use it to learn about myself as I walk in the world, and as someone who may be, you know, a step ahead on the journey, and I can use it to reflect back in service of others at the same time. Very nice. Thank you so much for joining us, Brooke uh, and Michael. Thank you, too. Um, Alex, I wanted to get back to you and ask you if you can just wrap up. What what did we do here today, and how does this apply to our listeners? Well, I hope that part of what we've done is give people permission to write even bad poetry. Uh, free, <laughs> Which none of this was bad, I don't think. No, no. And what I have, I have never found that telling the truth leads to bad poetry (laughs) because good poetry (laughs) is about truthful expression. So, but giving oneself permission to write even bad poetry or make even a bad drawing is to break past that censor that says, do not cross the boundaries of the old kingdom, do not break the rules of silence, do not, do not, do not. And so to find any kind of yes to the deep voices in your heart is what I hope people will take from this conversation. Yeah, yeah. I've had fun today, and I hope you guys have as well. Um, it, it's It's been fun listening to these words. I'm, I'm kind of surprised at how moved I have been by uh, your poems, Brooke, and, and by our caller with the song, and Michael, you know, with your work, which I know is always uh, extraordinary. So... Um, it's it's also gratifying to me as a person who does this as well um, to recognize how many of us engage in the creative process to deal with our own lives and um, and 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 to learn more about sharing that. So I thank you all for being here. I thank you for sharing, and um, get back out there and write another poem. <laughs> and one of the things that I do uh, with the show is that I like to end the show with a quote that kind of sums it up. And I actually have a Kurt Vonnegut quote today. Uh, and I, for 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 me, this quote kind of expresses the risks that I have learning to take in sharing my work. We have to continually be jumping off cliffs and developing our wings on the way down. 
So today, reading my poem on air and in front of all you was, was one of my ways where I'm jumping off a cliff and, and flapping like crazy to develop those wings. And uh, I hope that you enjoyed it as much as I do. Next week, uh, we're going to be talking about transgender identity, what's been happening in the world, lots of famous names and uh, lots of famous situations, uh, especially right here in Seattle where a Girl Scout Council uh, turned away a $100,000 donation in order to not commit to um, not supporting transgendered programs and, and individuals. So we're going to be talking about that next week. So please join us then as we talk again on Three Women, Three Ways.